All right, welcome to the DC Yoga Podcast. My name is Chris Parkinson. I'm your host. We're here with producer Mike at the One Love Massive Studios in Shaw. We're here with uh, Jenny Light, recently named as one of Yoga Journal International's top yoga instructors under 30 to watch. Jenny Light is the founder and owner of Bluebird Sky Yoga. Jenny began practicing yoga in 2007 and has fallen in love with many lineages over the years. Her teaching style combines a unique blend of traditional ashtanga and rocket vinyasa-based alignment with a fluidity and movement inspired by primal flow, pranifil, vinyasa yoga, jivamukti, and other lineages with the goal of inspiring students to move both freely and intelligently. Jeannie is a firm believer in yoga's ability to transform people both on and off the mat. Through moving cities, starting new jobs, embarking on new relationships, and more, yoga has remained one of the most consistent and integral pieces of Jenny's life. Yoga means unity. Through the practice and study of yoga philosophy, students learn to unify breath and movement to see their unity with fellow beings in the world and to increase our understanding of our connection to our planet. Jenny left a full-time job in consulting to embark on the uncertain world of being an entrepreneur because seeing students fall in love with yoga and grow from the practice of yoga was the most rewarding experiences. She could not be more honored to be a part of the Brookland community. Yep. Cool. I think in all of that, I forgot to mention that your studio is Bluebird Sky Yoga. You said it. Yeah. I did? Okay. Yeah, okay. You're all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, tell us about the studio. Studio is great. Um, we opened in November of 2016. So we've been open for a little over a year and a half now. And um, we're located in the Brooklyn neighborhood, which is a really awesome neighborhood for independent businesses. Um, there are a lot of great restaurants and um, creative businesses in the area. Um, so it's a really fun place for, for us to be. Yeah, if you if you've never been there before, um, you you could miss it just walking by it. It's like it's kind of tucked in this little nook. It's surrounded by you know green leafy trees and bushes. It's it's really it's really amazing. It's a really amazing studio. You, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool little place. Like you don't. Um, we're so used to seeing like the yoga signs outside, and we're so used to having like the the storefront. Like you know, hey, this is a yoga studio, and yours is like just blends in perfectly with the community. It really is really cool. Mm. Well, it's great. Um, we're located right across from Casey Trees which is an awesome nonprofit that plants trees around the city. And so um, a lot of the folks that have been at Casey Trees actually planted some of the trees on our property years ago. Yeah. And so I'll often catch them out there kind of giving tours in the neighborhood and you know, telling me which berries I can eat off the trees and the whole history of the building and what's been in the building in the past. That's so cool. How did you decide on that building? Take us a Well, so maybe we rewind. Mm. You did yoga teacher training when? Um, I graduated in January of 2015. 2015. And from what I can remember, you pretty much opened a studio, not right away, but pretty close to right away after graduating. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at uh, the spaces a year after I graduated. Um, so pretty soon after. I'd been practicing yoga at that point um, for quite a while, but only teaching for about a year. And I went into it not really sure I would open a studio, but... Um, with the idea in mind and then pieces started to fall in line and I eventually found the space that I loved and kind of from there decided it had to happen. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. And um, that's a big leap. I mean, you know, not, I mean, just knowing you want to teach after you do a 200, 200 hour training program mm -hmm. is a lot, but like then knowing you wanted to open a studio, was that something you knew before you went into teacher training? Was that something you were fiddling with? It wasn't something that I was putting too much, um, uh, weight into or pressure into, but it's something that I thought about for a long time is something, um, even, you know, around the time I began doing yoga in 2007, um, was an idea that I had that maybe one day I would do something, um, like opening a yoga studio or something, um, creative. 
So before I opened the studio, um, in my first year after graduating from teacher training, I did a lot of pop-up events, which I called Artful Saturday. And so I'd rent out a space. Um, for example, the first one was in DuPont Circle. I rented out a space there and hosted pop-up yoga classes all day and then um, supported some of my friends who are creative entrepreneurs, artists, designers, a friend who had a hat company, another jewelry designer, um, Mimi Rieger's yoga pant business and um, created a pop-up shop to support those entrepreneurs. And um, as I started doing those events, um, I realized that they'd be much more effective if I had a permanent space um, where I could support other small businesses um, and go from there. So I started kind of testing out the waters with some of these smaller events, um, eventually leading to the space. That's really cool. Tell us more about the local businesses you work with at um, at the studio in Brooklyn, because because here's mm -hmm. the thing, I, I I hope that people listen to the whole podcast, but I don't want to <laughs> save it till the end, so yeah. let's get it in now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Brooklyn is a very neighborhood oriented place. Um, you know, you walk to the farmers market and people know each other's names. Um, the neighborhood civic association is very active. Um, people are active in the ANC. Um, you know, parents come to the studio and they know each other from school. So um, we try to get involved as much as we can with other local businesses. Um, across the summer, we partner with Latella Art Gallery, which is on the Arts Walk, which is right by the Metro. And we offer pop-up yoga classes there. Um, we also partnered this summer with Latella. Um, so haven't gotten to this yet, but we have a art gallery with rotating artists that we support. Um, every three months, we have three artists that we feature. Then um, we bring their art in. Um, we have a big art and wine event where we invite the artists in to talk about their work, um, drink wine paired specifically to each artist. It's a lot of fun. Um, so this summer, we partnered with Latella Art Gallery and had them actually pick the artists um, and worked mm -hmm. very closely with, with Marta, who is the owner there. Um, we've also worked um, with one of the local... Uh, uh, not elementary school, uh, daycare centers um, just down the street, and we offer them classes. So it's really adorable. Um, once a week, the kids um, from over at Petite Scholars walk over, and we do a couple yoga classes for them. Um, and then we How tried, old are they? Um, <laughs> between ages two and four. Wow. So That's um, cool. Yeah, it's fun to watch their progression as well. The first couple of times they came by, you know, they just kind of watched the teacher move around and stared with open eyes. And by the end of last semester, you know, you could hear them walking down the street, yoga, yoga, <laughs> and um, singing all the songs that they sing in class. So it's, it's been really cool to watch them grow and engage. And it seems like they get an inch taller every time I see them every week. Yeah, they um, so down, down at the yards, there's a there's a, um, uh, an elementary school probably two blocks away. Mm. And one of the teachers there was is a student of mine. And she asked me after class one day, she said, you know, will you come over and do like a yoga class for, for the kids? Um, and, you know, I'm thinking, I said, this is great. I'm definitely going to do this. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I talked to her. I said, so like, what, you know, what, what, what kind of yoga should I plan on? Like, is this a like a 60 minute class, like a 40 minute class? Like, what, what should I be doing? And she goes, well, let's start with five minutes. Yeah. And let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Ours are 30 minutes um, is a good time. And then at that point, they're they're ready to, yeah. you know, tear all the covers off the books and um, create chaos. Yeah. So 30 minutes is a good window for us, I think. Yeah. No, it's totally cute when you watch <laughs> little kids do yoga. There's always there's a, well, there was always like one or two that are like really into it, mm. you know, and you're like all of a sudden you're teaching crow pose to a five year old, which oh, is like yeah. amazing because they can do it. Right. They have no fear whatsoever. They're just like, oh, you mean I do this? And you're like. 
how come I can't do that with my students normally? <laughs> yeah, Becky Paris always t- tells the kids, do that every single day. Never stop doing a handstand because one day you won't be able to do it and then you'll be mad that you've stopped. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, hmm. indeed. So take us back to 2007 when you started. Where were you when you started practicing yoga? So I started practicing yoga when I was living in Colorado, um, which was back in 2007. Um, and I went to local Core Power. It was a block from my house. Um, they had a free week of yoga, so I went, checked it out. Um, and very quickly made that part of my regular routine. And then um, practiced until I moved to D.C. And um, when I moved to D.C., I was a member of a studio, I think it was called uh, Hot Yoga USA mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah, the one up in, um, in Tenleytown. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah. It was um, first kind of closer to Glover Park and then up to Tenleytown. And there was a teacher named Rob Hess who lived here, yeah. um, who I practiced with quite a bit. Um, and then eventually it just became too far of a commute for me and Rob Hess moved. And so around that time, um, I began practicing at Stroga, um, up in Adams Morgan. When were you practicing at Stroga? Really? Um, yeah, I was there for a couple of years. Um, let's see, probably around 2012 yeah. to 14 or so. Yeah. Um, I left probably a year before they closed, um, and practiced at Flow for a while, um, tried out a lot of the studios in DC, um, and then kind of hopped around and followed different teachers that I that I liked. And now I mostly practice at Bluebird Sky Yoga, which is great. That's cool. So you do have time to take classes. I do. Um, my current practice is uh, mostly Mysore in the mornings. And then I try to take a couple other classes a week um, at the studio, try out different teachers, sometimes auditioning teachers, um, taking their classes. Um, I try to hire people whose classes I want to take. So that makes it easy to um, pop on over and take class at the studio. That's pretty easy, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a block from where I live, too. So it's where I work, and it's a short commute. Do you do uh, any other kind of uh, exercise, or are you just a strict yogi? So um, for a long time, I was a pretty strict yogi. Um, For years, I worked in consulting downtown, and so my routine was walking to and from work, which was about six miles of walking a day plus yoga. So that was kind of how I balanced things out. And now that I'm just a block from the yoga studio, I can go a whole day without <laughs> walking more than a block. So I've tried to change my routine and um, add in some other pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so my boyfriend and I are members of the rock climbing gym and we try and get out yeah. there a couple of days a week um, or go climbing outside when we can. And then um, sometimes I'll run as well or take my dog for long walks and hikes. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about the rock climbing. Rock climbing is your been new great. passion. <laughs> new, is it new or is it just it's, your passion? Um, it's a revived passion. Um, I rock climbed in like growing up and in high school, a little bit in college, and then kind of lost touch with it for a while. Um, so I started rock climbing again about a year ago. And then um, it, it's a great practice. And I think the more I delve into it, the more I see the similarities in yoga. Um, you know, I can go to the rock climbing gym, put my phone, my purse away, everything, and just focus on being. Um, in this space away from distractions mm-hmm. and you know they, they talk about all of the um routes being problems and you kind of get so involved in this one problem you have to have a very single point of gaze and intense focus to be able to solve the problem and and move forward in a mm-hmm. intelligent way and in an energy conserving way um so in, in that way it's very similar to yoga in that you're completely focused within focused on the breath Um, you know, if you kind of let the fear get over you and you start breathing quickly, then you're much less capable of solving the problem and moving forward. And that's very similar to yoga. Um, you know, connecting with the breath, I think through yoga has helped me through rock climbing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, I I imagine, I imagine that, uh, the other kind of cool thing about, um, rock climbing is that 
you're using almost an entirely different set of muscles when you do rock climbing than mm-hmm. when you're doing yoga. Right, yoga is very push oriented, mm-hmm. um, and you, and rock climbing is very pull oriented. Right, mm-hmm. so you're using those forearm muscles, you're using those back muscles, those lat muscles that that there's really in yoga. Really don't, we really don't ha- use it all that much. I mean, there's certain mm. movements you can do to engage those muscles, but there's not a lot of movements you can do to to strengthen those muscles, right? Other than just isometric, right, contractions of those muscles. Absolutely. Right? And I always joke, um, especially in the bouldering room at the rock climbing gym, where everyone's muscles are super engaged. Like this would be the best place to have a yoga anatomy lesson, yeah, because you can see all the tiny, you know, muscles <laughs> at the back and understand, like, oh, that's what that, you know, where that's where that is and where it engages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's really interesting about the two modalities is that, you know, even though you're using different muscles, a lot of both of the practices are figuring out how you can use the muscles less and how can you use physics and stacking of bones and all of these strategies to conserve energy so that you're not just totally depleted, you know, after you're in yoga, your standing postures, for example, or like mm-hmm. really just engaging everything until exertion. Um, you're trying to move smartly and intelligently, um, so that you can kind of maintain your practice either for the length of your practice or, you know, over time, over, over the years. Yeah, of course, because if you if you go into a yoga practice and you're straining your muscles in every single pose, you're not going to walk out there out of class feeling very good. Mm. I mean, you'll feel exhausted, but you'll also feel like your muscles are just completely crunched up. Mm-hmm. You know, you if you can't learn to unengage a muscle, if you only know how to contract a muscle, mm-hmm. then you're sort of missing one of the great benefits of yoga, which is learning how to engage and how to let it go. Like mm-hmm. the the mind-body connection, right? The proprioception between what you're doing up here and what you're doing down there in your body. Mhm. Right, um, they say stira sukha asanam, effort and ease, balance of strength and softness. That's right. Absolutely. Um so is there like when you are are you do you consider yourself more now uh, a studio owner or still a teacher or do you have like an identity crisis of any kind like <laughs> when you think about yourself and what you're doing You know cuz I, I was asking Jess about this yeah. too you know when she was in here earlier and she was like well I only teach really one yoga class a week and mm-hmm. I still love yoga I still practice yoga but it was like she was more just like the business side right now was 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 more her focus right yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think the amount of yoga I teach now is pretty similar to when I was working full time. I teach a little bit more on weekends and subbing. Um, but when I was working my full time job, I had at one point five standing classes and then I would occasionally sub here and there. And right now I have um, four classes that I teach weekly. And then like this morning, I jumped in and taught a class and Wednesday I taught a class Um it can be really easy to say yes to a lot of teaching opportunities. Um, no for kidding. <laughs> yeah. For a while, um, I was teaching a lot of private lessons. Um, you know, and my idea was, okay, well, I'm not doing anything else at 7 in the morning. So I'll wake up, I'll teach a private, then I'll go practice Mysore, then I'll, you know, do stuff for the business. And then in the evenings, I try to be at the studio either teaching or at the front desk to get to know my community. Um, but then I would find when I had those earlier mornings, um, that by 3 PM, I wanted to take a nap instead of doing anything productive for the business. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's been a good lesson over time in figuring out, um, what can seem like an easy thing to say yes to now is actually not in the best interest of the rest of my team who I have to think about supporting them. Mm -hmm. So when you first started doing yoga, was there, what was the impetus for it? Do you remember the motivation for doing it? Um, I was, I was running a lot back then and, um, kind of bored with running, trying, wanting to try something new. Um, and I was around for a summer and I didn't have much going on that summer. So 
a friend of mine uh, took me to a yoga class and it was actually a Bikram class. So my first summer doing yoga was all Bikram yoga. And I loved that it made me feel totally exhausted. So that was like, you know, what got me into it. it was like, I feel like I'm doing hard work here, you know, that I can replace running with this. Um, and then it was through that that I started trying other yoga classes and really connecting with more than just the physical exhaustion of the practice. Um, and it's funny now I've had, you know, that same friend who introduced me to yoga come to yoga classes um, after, you know, he's been much less engaged with yoga over the year, kind of here and there. And so it's fun to see, like, I really ran with it. And, you know, now mm -hmm. it's something that he pops into. But um, little did he know what he was getting. Me I know, back then. right? <laughs> little did he know the, the spark that, that lit the fire. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so when you were when you were out in Colorado and one of the things I like to do when I have guests on the show is mm -hmm. kind of talk about the differences between like what we practice here in D.C. and what we practice other places mm -hmm. like when you were out in Colorado, did you go to a whole bunch of different places or was it just core power and Bikram or was it like, did you, did you really get a sense for how they practice out there or the scene, I guess? So when I was practicing, when I was living in Colorado, it was mostly a core power. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's a studio I've heard a lot about now that was just a couple blocks further, but at the time it was like, oh, this block is a, this uh, studio is a block from my house. And so I really didn't stray far from there because I found something I liked. And now I'm like, I'm curious what that other place was, you know, that everyone was studying meditation and pranayama and all this stuff um, mm -hmm. that I was probably missing back then. Um, I'd say that, yes, it changes from city to city, but I think also where you are in your life can also change the yoga practice that you're attracted to. So when I moved to D.C. from Colorado, um, I worked in a corporate job where everything was very structured and so much more than my life had been in Colorado. And I think the practice that I was craving at the time or that really made sense for me was like something to get out of my head and just flow and move. Um, you know, I remember a lot of lion's breath and really kind of um, mudras and um, uh, practices that were less traditional um, it, to like a DC person. Right. Um, when we're out of the box and that was perfect because it like helped me ignite my weird that I missed in Colorado. <laughs> I like that term. That's <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> ignite my weird. Um, and then um, more recently I've, I've gravitated towards an Ashtanga practice. And when I think about what's going on in my life, there's much less structure. I'm creating all the structure myself. And so for me having that um, regular practice where I have the same teacher um, who I have a strong relationship with, knows where I am in my practice. Um, and having that structure is really helpful way for me to start my day and kind of get things moving. So um, that's been interesting. You know, you can kind of choose where your, the experience you're having based on where you're, you're practicing and who you're practicing with. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, to this point about yoga being different in every city, a really eye-opening experience for me was taking a training in a style called primal yoga with a teacher named Liz Arch out yeah. in California. Um, and what's really fascinating about that training is that um, a lot of the students who took the training knew Liz um, through the internet, through taking her classes online. Um, and so because of that, people were from all over the world. Um, you know, I had one yogi that was taking the training who was um, an Ayurvedic chef on a private yacht for years. And so when she had internet connection, you know, she was, she was practicing with Liz and there were yogis out in California and from North Carolina and from D.C. And it was really interesting that, you know, we come from in D.C. There's a very strong Ashanga influence. And at the time, there was a stronger Jiva Mukti, in, Jiva Mukti influence in D.C. Um, now there's a lot of Dharma yogis here that I see. So there are certain styles that I think go through trends. 
Um, and it was interesting to go to another city and hear about styles of yoga I had never heard of. Um, one of the, my fellow teachers was um, into shadow yoga, which I had never heard of before. And I still can't tell you too much about shadow yoga. <laughs> um, it's, it's a shadow. There's not much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's not much to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From what I understand, it's a lot of long held postures um, and um, shapes I wasn't familiar with. Um, there was another teacher who um, came from a background of blending martial arts and yoga and so it was really fascinating to um, be surrounded by all these people where for them, the pieces that felt easy to teach or the things that were very intuitive for them were different. Mm -hmm. So was this a 50-hour training with Liz? or was I a think it was 60 hours. 60 hours. Mm -hmm. And um, so tell us a little bit about primal yoga then. Because I've, I mean, I've, I've came in contact with Liz uh, a while ago. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one of the things I do remember distinctly is that she, I don't know if she does anymore, but she had a kick-ass website. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She has some really cool <laughs> like photography. Really cool website. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I never really kind of delved in. I never took a class with her. I never, you know, I never kind of delved into her philosophy. But, mm. um, so kind of where is she coming from? What is she, what is she kind of doing? So the style of uh, primal yoga is a mixture of martial arts and yoga. Um, and so she takes both a lot of the philosophy and where there's overlapping philosophy, um, as well as some of the movements and blends them together into a practice um, that's usually 90 minutes um, as, a, as a pretty standard primal yoga flow. And what makes it a primal yoga flow is that you teach towards one of the peak postures or peak sequences from primal. Um, and each of the classes is based on the five elements. So you might have a water-based class that has a lot of fluid um, floating movements, mm -hmm. or you might have a wood sequenced class that is a lot about standing and balance. Um, and it's a very empowering practice that's meant to help individuals connect with their inner strength. And um, through the movement of prana or energy through our body or chi. So we talk about chi in martial arts and prana and yoga. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of goes through a lot of the ways that both of these modalities and um, lineages have described how energy moves, how our body moves, the purpose of movement um, and connects them to show that there are a lot of overlapping philosophies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So there are. So is it is it, it's one of those um, practices where there's like a lot of non well, we whatever. What, what the fuck is a traditional yoga pose anyway? <laughs> yeah. But uh, but you know what I mean? Like like whale pose or like, you know, mm. is there are there a lot of those kind of poses that you think to yourself like, oh, you know, I've never seen that before or. They're, the poses that are different are usually from martial arts. Right. So you might have something called kicking cat or circling cat where you're literally doing kung fu kicks, um, but it's blended into a flow. Um, you also start the practice always with about 15 minutes of self-healing qigong, which feels amazing. I had never done qigong until mm -hmm. I took the training. Um, Tell and us about that real quick. So the practice is what's called a tapping ex exercise. And so um, with one hand and a fist, you kind of tap along the meridian lines of the body. So the meridian lines you might know of if you've ever done acupuncture. It's the same energy lines that an acupuncturist would use um, if you came in, you know, having a, a specific ailment. Mm -hmm. So um, you kind of tap the whole body. And, um, you know, the first time you do it, you may feel silly, like, what am I doing here? Just like, you know, tapping my arms and legs. But afterwards, you can feel the energy really alive in the body. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm ever going camping, it's something I'll do in the morning just to like reawaken the body and get the blood flow moving. 
Who needs coffee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, we were camping recently, and these you know people camping next to us were like, "What's going on over there? These crazy people hitting themselves." Like, like those hippies. What are they <laughs> <Yeah>. doing now? <laughs> um, or last year, I, I led a yoga and rock climbing retreat, and we did that right before rock climbing, and it was a great way to um, kind of wake up, almost like your sun salutations at the beginning oh. of your practice. Um, you know, a good way to to start things moving. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another piece of the primal practice is that there's usually a long guided meditation at the end. So back to this point of, you know, what are what are DC yogis comfortable with? Um, it was interesting seeing people from other cities. And, you know, I felt like coming from DC, a lot of the trainings I had done, a lot of the classes I had taken were very fast paced. And so teaching the middle of the sequence, the peak of the sequence felt very natural to me. Um, whereas some other people felt like, oh, the meditation, you know, leading a 30 minute meditation, that seems like the easiest part. I'm worried about, you know, being able to speak quickly enough and cue quickly enough. So, mm-hmm. um, and that may be more of the experience of the types of yoga I've done or taught. Um, sure. but it was like, it was a good eye opening experience to see what, what pieces each of us gravitated towards. Um, and then do you still, do you think that this still influences you a lot in what you're teaching now? I think so. Um, I, a lot of the practice, um, or has other it changed, practices, I guess, I guess I, when I first came back from the training, I was teaching primal yoga more regularly and I felt like, you know, I had a, oh, I had a weekly class where I taught it. I felt like I hit a certain dead end in terms of what I could provide students when it came to martial arts, because I don't have a long martial arts background. Right. Um, so I felt like a lot of what the influence I was pulling from were from other styles of yoga. Um, but now I really like teaching primal yoga. If I'm, for example, teaching at a yoga festival or, um, in, you know, for a holiday or as kind of a fun event. Um, but it is really helpful to think about the frameworks from primal yoga when I'm sequencing classes, because a lot of the other movement I'm doing yoga movement is, um, Ashtanga, which is a set sequence rocket, which is also a set sequence based on Ashtanga. And they are much more linear and primal flow is much more fluid. You might, you know, sequence to the front of the mat and then to the back of the mat and from side to side and moving all around. And so Mm -hmm. that influence definitely sticks with me and inspires a lot of my creative sequencing. Mm -hmm. So um, did you think like, well, your studio, Mm -hmm. do you, because I went there weeks ago yeah a fantastic class <laughs> the, the vinyasa and pranayama class mm-hmm. um and i really like the way that you are adding this um other aspects of yoga to your asana practice mm-hmm. was that something you had in mind when you opened you were like I, you know i'm going to open a studio i want to make sure i get this other stuff in it's not just going to be a place where people are going to do a billion chaturangas Yes. Um, <laughs> and I had, you know, it's evolved from what I envisioned from until us opening. Um, and what I really loved about my own personal yoga journey is getting to understand, um, and I'm a little bit of a nerd like this, I like to understand where the lineage is coming from, what is inspiring it, what the intention is behind the practice. And so I had initially these ideas in mind that we would have different tracks for yogis who wanted different styles. So um, for a while I was practicing Ashtanga once a week and rocket two times, two to three times a week and maybe vinyasa or a meditation class once a week. And so when I was in that point in my life, you know, I would see that track as like, they all play off of one another and relate. So if someone were kind of in that phase, you'd have something every day for someone who wanted that style mm-hmm. versus the time in my life when I was practicing more Jiva Mukti and Prana flow and these much more um, fluidly flowing, um, nonlinear practices. 
um, that in, that included more pranayama and chanting and philosophy, um, you know, more storytelling about the pose versus like what the alignment is, for example. Mm -hmm. So I had in my mind that we'd have these two separate tracks and then that evolved a little bit um, as we created the schedule for a number of reasons. Um, one, uh, when we opened in Brooklyn, most of our students hadn't done yoga for a really long time or ever. And so I felt like we needed a lot of beginner classes. Um, and I really wanted to make yoga accessible to everyone and make sure that if someone was brand new to yoga, they didn't have to wait for like 8 p.m. on the random day when it like happened right. to be available. 5 p.m. <laughs> yoga basics class on Sunday night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I wanted them to be able to say like, okay, if I'm going to really get into this practice, I'm going to have something that's a convenient time that I can manage into my schedule multiple days a week. And then I get hooked because I can, you know, it's part of my routine now. And um, so that evolved how I created the schedule initially. Manipulating the public. I love it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I didn't want it to be like an afterthought. I wanted it to be something that um, people could really connect with. And, it, and it's interesting now, you know, I have students who come to the yoga fundamentals classes because they love the teacher and they love the community and they know everyone else's name. And I'm like, you could be coming to a level two class, you know, <laughs> but they're still love the fundamentals and i think there's something you can always gain from fundamentals too. i love going to yoga fundamentals classes mm -hmm. yoga basic classes i love it Absolutely. i love it i think it's fantastic I, you when you start doing quote unquote advanced level classes you you sometimes can get caught up in the um, purpose of yoga mm -hmm. which is for me to concentrate mm -hmm. right um to let go uh, and, um, to work with my body in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And really, why do I have to be doing some intense arm balance with an arm around my back mm -hmm. to get that? I can't, I do that doing cat cow. Yeah. Why can't, why can't I do that? You know, simply doing like a low lunge, mm -hmm. you know, and practicing lengthening my spine. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's, this, this could be, couldn't be more simple than that. And, yeah. and yoga for me has to be simple. Mm hmm. Right. Yoga isn't a complex thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the more complex we make it, the more we twist it into something that that uh, that it really isn't. Yeah. You My know? friend um, and teacher Krista Block said something like uh, in a workshop I took with her recently. Um, once people realize it's just really simple. Yoga means union and everything I'm teaching just is union. Then I'll be out of the job. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, so don't tell anyone. It's you know, it's that easy. It's the same thing over and over again, whether it's you know, a handstand workshop or a twist mm -hmm. workshop or a meditation workshop or whatever I'm teaching, you know, it's all comes back to the kind of simple principles. Exactly. We're, we're maybe one of the only professions where mm -hmm. every single person who's a yoga teacher in their heart of hearts really wishes everybody would get it mm -hmm. and they wouldn't worry about losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In other words, I'd be pretty happy if everybody just got it and I never had to teach yoga again. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. Cool with me. There you go. <laughs> um, so how do you, so it sounds like your schedule then evolves. Mm -hmm. um, like how does, how does that work? Um, so I, I guess I didn't fully finish answering the question you had, which was, you know, how do I add pranayama mm -hmm. and meditation and these pieces to the schedule? Um, you know, I think and I think you've talked about this in your podcast too, that yoga is not just the physical postures, right? It's not just the asana. And I think sometimes when the classes are labeled like vinyasa and power, which we have a lot of on the schedule, teachers feel like, and the students showing up expect there to be, you know, a certain layout and a certain format to the class. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to make space and use labeling of classes to give teachers the 
freedom to include other pieces in their classes. So for example, we have a class on Monday nights called meditation, pranayama, and philosophy, which is basically like any of the limbs of yoga besides the physical postures. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a class that we created um, for a teacher named Lindsay Ulrig, who was living in DC. And now um, Danielle Dalvecchio teaches that class. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to expose students to all the other pieces besides just the asana. Um, we have another class called Cosmic Flow, which Hari teaches, Hari Kirtana Das. Yeah. And that's um, a long Dharma talk, um, yoga nidra, and a little bit of vinyasa flow. We have classes called Vinyasa and Pranayama, and Pranayama is breath. So it just gives the teacher freedom to say, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes of breath work in the beginning, or maybe I'll um, integrate more discussion of the breath as we're flowing through. Um, and so we're always trying to do more of that as like, um, Say in the title, we're going to do other yeah. stuff too. Expect Do you it. find those classes are as popular as the vinyasa classes and the power yoga classes? Oh yeah, absolutely. See, that's so cool. Um, like I wish, I wish other. I mean, you know, and I work at Vita, where I'm a little bit constrained about what I can put on the schedule and what I mm. can't put on the schedule, and um, where there's only like four types of classes I can put on the schedule. But what I've tried to do is 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 hire teachers um, and put teachers on the schedule who um, will do that without having to be prompted to do so, mm-hmm. right? Because Advita, really the only um, requirement that you have is that people like your class. Mm-hmm. So you can teach kind of whatever you want mm. um, as long as people like it and show, show up. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I kind of wish other studios and other gyms would do, would do more of that. And I think it's one of those expectation things where people are afraid to put it on the schedule because mm-hmm. uh, they don't think it'll do well. Or it's more work to educate people. Um, sure, exactly. You, you, have to, you have to let it actually, mm-hmm. let people like it, right? Mm-hmm. You have to give it a chance, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think putting things like that, classes like that at convenient times um, and encouraging students, explaining to them in person what those things are, posting a lot about, you know, what those classes actually mean um, and taking the time to educate people um, and kind of letting it be a slow build and then committing to it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometimes you find that something doesn't work and that's okay too. You know, sometimes there'll be something that I've experienced that I really love um, and then sounds scary to other people or, you know, what they will hear later, what they were imagining what the class was, was totally different. Like we had a workshop called floating and flying. And to me, I was like, oh, that's, ex- that has to be about the transitions through sun salutations. You know, that's so clear to me having taken a bunch of workshops on that topic. Mm-hmm. And then I'm realizing that the people working at the front desk were like, oh, I thought that was maybe a breath workshop or a meditation workshop. Or, you know, even though the description mm-hmm. was online, it was not clear enough um, what it was. So going through iterations of um, how to title things, how to describe things and asking people like, what do you think this means? <laughs> and is it just jargon to me or does it, you know, actually make sense to other people who haven't already gone to a workshop on floating and flying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me that I, I thought floating and flying, I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do some arm balances and then I'm going to like sit in like a restorative back bend for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That could be it too. <laughs> and, ju- and just you know? float a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Um, what, like what hasn't worked or like, what could you, do you have anything like you put a class on the schedule you were like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. And mm. like all people were just like not into it. Most recently we added acro yoga to the schedule. Um, we have a fantastic teacher, Sarah Hippert. Um, oh. People were really excited to take it kind of the first couple weeks, but I think for a lot of people, um, it's like a fun thing for them to do every six months. Um, but they weren't willing to commit to a Saturday afternoon of having it regularly. Right. Um, and I don't think there's anything about the quality of the teaching or 
um, you know, anything else. It was just in our neighborhood where there are a lot of young families. Saturday is the day that families hang out, that people explore outside of the neighborhood. They go on trips. You know, a lot of D.C. people are on vacations a lot in the summer over mm -hmm. the weekends. So, you know, all those factors, plus um, it being something that's just totally different from what people are used to practicing, um, meant that it, um, you know, we couldn't hold it regularly every week. Right. Um, but we'll still have it back as a workshop or special event. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll try something else um, another time. Do you also, on your schedule, is your schedule seasonal at all? Like, do you offer certain classes certain times a year and take them off other times a year? Is it, is it like... To some extent, um, I try to be cognizant also of the people who are like my old life of like every day is the same <laughs> no matter what time of the year it is. So I still want my 6.30 a.m. class, you know, if I'm going to have to work on that holiday, I don't want to get hit twice where now I don't have class and right. I have to go to work. Um, but we definitely pared down a little bit in the summer, um, especially with our kids and family classes since so many families are traveling. Um, and then um, in the fall and winter, we also have teacher training. So we try to add some additional classes around the schedule um, because some of our classes that are usually in the big studio will be moved to the small studio. So we try and um, make sure there's still enough options for everyone um, around those events. Um, do you, how many, how many special workshops do you do? Do you do them pretty frequently? We do a lot. <laughs> yeah. So we have some um, that are regular every month. So, for example, uh, once a month we have a sound bath healing, which is an hour-long yoga class, um, kind of just to get the wiggles out, and then mm -hmm. a one-hour sound bath with singing bowls, sometimes violin or drums, um, kind of whatever Atticus comes with that month. Um, we also do um, eyes-free yoga, uh, yoga class for the blind. So some of those events are reoccurring and monthly. And then we'll, every other month, we also have an Ayurveda workshop um, with Whitney Patterson, who's one of our teachers. And then on top of that, we try to host um, a couple 50-hour trainings a year mm -hmm. um, for teachers and then have a mix of anatomy-focused uh, workshops as well as um, more introspective workshops um, and kind of give people a range of things based on what they need. So let's get back to your personal practice for a mm -hmm. second here. You're yeah. really into Mysore. So Michael Michael yeah. Joel Hall was on here a couple weeks ago and uh -huh. talked uh, talked a little bit about Ashtanga. Talked a little bit about the Mysore practice. Mm -hmm. What kind of got you into it? Like how did you how did you discover it? When did you discover it? Yeah. So I'm a firm believer that you know we have all these judgments about different styles of yoga and we have different experiences with different styles of yoga. And for me, whatever, whatever styles of yoga means anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like honestly, different, different branches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or should we say different brands? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so for me, it's all about the teacher. You know, if I find a teacher that really resonates with me that I think is really smart, um, and I can connect to their teaching, then that's, you know, the, the lineage or the poses I'm doing, um, are less important than, um, the, teacher themselves. And so um, I practice currently with Janet Walco. And I remember the first class I took with her, she like spotted me from across the room and was like, you're, you know, little toe, move it this way. And she was just really like spot on and very um, specific with her cues and her reason, reasoning behind her cues. And um, so for me, it was, you know, that's what kind of drew me to the Mysore room after thinking about it and talking about it for a while. Um, the other thing that around the time I started my Mysore practice, so I started when the studio opened with our Mysore program, um, I was finding that a lot of the teachers that, um, whose workshops I was really enjoying, um, David Robson being one, for example, um, 
Krista Block, who's now an Ashtanga teacher, not when I met her, she wasn't, um, but mm-hmm. now she's an Ashtanga teacher. These teachers that were, I was really connecting with their teaching style were coming from an Ashtanga background. And so that's what had me um, sort of drift towards that practice after years, honestly, of like dropping into Ashtanga classes here and there and having, you know, sometimes it resonated. Occasionally I'd go into a spree of going to a lead primary class for a couple months and then I wouldn't for a while. Um, so I think it was the timing of what was changing in my life as well as finding a teacher that I connected with. Um, and so where are you? Where am I? Yeah, where are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> now, so, well, so maybe explain to people like what Ashtanga, like kind of like the basic concept of it and yeah. how you go through it. Yeah. So um, the in the Mysore setting, um, basically the Mysore room is open for a couple hours every morning. For our program, um, it is from 6 in the morning till 9.30 in the morning. So anytime during that window that you want to show up, you can show up at 6.37, 8.14, you know, whatever time you get to the Mysore room. Um, you show up, you set down your mat, and then you work on a practice that's personal to you. So it's based on the six, sec- six set sequences from Ashtanga. Um, but what you'll practice will first begin with the primary series, the first series. And then you may spend your whole life working on parts of the primary series or the full primary series, or maybe eventually go on to second series, third series, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first day you come in, you may have tons of yoga experience or you may have no yoga experience. And based on where you are, um, the teacher will give you a set of postures to work on and say, okay, try to memorize those, come back tomorrow, we'll do just those poses. And then if you feel ready, we'll add some more poses. And so your practice evolves um, as you memorize the postures, as um, they say, as you meet the conditions of the posture. So you've done some extent of the posture. It doesn't mean you have to do it perfectly. there are poses that I've gone past that I like can only do with a lot of assist from my teacher. Um, and that's okay. That's um, for me meeting the conditions from where I started and my growth. Yeah. Not everybody can just like drop backwards into a wheel <laughs> and yeah. then go into a handstand. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And, and you'll find that, you know, I, at least when I, when I took my uh, first 200 hour teacher training, I found that like the poses that I thought everyone else could do perfectly were it was totally not true for me. I'm a natural backbender, almost too much of a backbender. Like I would live my life in a backbend mm-hmm. if I could. And which has caused, you know, low back pain and things like that. And so the opposite of this big backbend is like very strong engagement of the core. And so all the times when there were postures like handstand that require a strong engagement of the core, I'm sitting around looking around like, you know, everyone's doing all these postures. They must be perfect at everything. And then I realized, well, when I'm in a backbend, I just figured everyone else could do it because I'm in the backbend. I can't see what other people are doing. And then I realized all those mm-hmm. handstanders are like, you know, so stiff. And yeah, can't do backbends. Yeah, can't do backbends. Nope. <laughs> so, you know, there are all of these things that you kind of, you think that when you're like looking around, everyone else is, must be doing everything perfectly, but it's just not the case. Um, but the Mysore room is a, is a great way that, um, you know, versus... When I go to a lead class, for example, someone might look over and say like, oh, she's super backbendy. She doesn't need any help in her backbends um, versus working one on one with Janet. She can say, actually, you naturally backbend in your low back and that's too much backbending. You shouldn't go that extreme. Yep. Let's work on opening the upper back. And let's give you some other ways to work into this that are not going to be the mm-hmm. easiest way. So 
um, last week, for example, I've been working on pinching my Ross in a forearm stand. Mm -hmm. For me, I usually kick up, I kind of go into a back bend, and then I straighten back up my legs. Exactly. You send one leg up and over, and the yeah. other leg stays behind, and then you equalize. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just like dumping into the thing that's easy for me and then correcting. And that's so, your lower back you're dumping into. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Janet looked at me and she was like, you know what? I'm going to make this harder for you. And now let's do this with the wall in a way that you're coming in from an L shape. And you're forced to be in the structure of the posture instead of letting that backbend happen. So there are a lot of ways that, you know, working with someone over and over again like that, they can start to identify your patterns, point them out to you, and then help you work on mm -hmm. um, not creating more more problems for yourself through mm -hmm. repetitive movement in your practice. You mentioned... Um you mentioned back problems. Mm -hmm. you have, have you had how many? Have you had yoga injuries? Have you had injuries outside mm. the studio? So tell us about tell us about injuries. Um, sure. <laughs> so um, I in high school I had low back pain, um, and a lot of the physical therapy that I did actually is pretty similar to a lot of the movements in yoga. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had the low back pain and issues since I started doing yoga, which is a success. Um, in terms of injuries. Um, I've had a shoulder injury the last year um, that I've had now three times, but it hasn't always been from yoga. <laughs> the first time was after I used a rowing machine um, at like a high interval class. Um, so you can use names in here. It's okay. Um, it will high, uh, hit, what, <laughs> hit high, class. Yeah, 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 hit class. Yeah, was um, it Elevate or was it Orange um, Theory, one of these places? Yeah, over at yeah. Reformation. Yeah, Reformation. Um, it was like right after the movement, I slowly felt this aching. And then the second time it came back um, was right after rolling out of a posture, Pindasana, which is towards the end of um, the Ashtanga sequence. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it was in a power yoga class. Um, and then the third time was after rock climbing. And so I could feel that, you know, this like big rounding of the back and then um, pulling mm -hmm. and kind of hanging action, I think is probably what's caused it in the three times that I've had that injury. So it's been from yoga, but also from other things um, and probably going into you know, class at Reformation with like no similar types of movement and then going into this like very intense class mm -hmm. um, probably was not the smartest way to kind of move into things. But, um, you know, you learn. <laughs> uh, yes, that that is one way to learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe the only way to learn is through experience. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, but other than that, um, I haven't had many yoga related injuries. Yeah. Um, just that one that I can think of in the shoulder. So did you, um, do you make a, do you try to make it a practice to, well, how did you learn then, um, to engage your core when you were, when mm. you were, so you, so presumably someone in PT said, okay, you have like, uh, you know, you have sway back or you have some sort of, right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're genetically inclined to do this anyway. How mm -hmm. did you, how did you work to, to, um, kind of get out of that so that it did, wasn't a, 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 you know, um. I don't want to see a problem because there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with you if you have sway back, yeah. right? <laughs> like uh, the problem, the, the issue is always there's a lot of the, the core muscles just aren't strong enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of core strengthening, um, a lot of movements like doing a bridge and then coming down halfway and lifting back up, um, working to strengthen my glutes. Yeah. Um, that was another way that I worked around that. Um, and yeah, it was probably about six sessions of physical therapy and some exercises. Um, it's you been a while now. I, I don't still do them, but I do feel like, especially Pilates, um, a lot of the movements I see in Pilates, I think like, oh, that was back to my physical therapy. Um, so yeah. for a while, I was throwing Pilates into my routine. We have a Pilates class once a week at the studio, so I was trying to make it to that um, once a week. Um, 
but it hasn't bothered me enough <laughs> for me, honestly, to like th- yeah. sit down and think about doing it. Um, it's probably something I should do, but I do think the yoga practice has, um, has been, you know, really helpful. Um, what was causing a lot of the pain was the way I was running. And so I don't run as much anymore. And so that's probably also connected. Yeah. I've, I've usually found when I talk to students and clients that a lot of physical injuries stop when you stop running. Mm. <laughs> and probably, you know, I should have had a running coach or someone watch me run and tell me that I was probably running crazily mm-hmm. and shouldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I've been thinking about as I've started running a little more in the last year. It's like, maybe I should just have someone watch me run and make sure I'm not creating future injuries for myself. Mm-hmm. So you don't you go to yoga teacher training, mm-hmm. you're a yoga studio owner. Mm-hmm. What's your continuing education like for yoga? Mm. So uh, I try to take a 50-hour training um, probably around every nine months or so and a lot of workshops. Um, it's nice now that I'm a studio owner that I can book people whose workshops I want to take. It's pretty nice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so, Abby said the same thing when yeah. she wasn't here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when I'm like telling people they should come to all the workshops, I'm like, I really mean it. You know, I really like I, I'm planning on taking them. I'm trying to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, for example, um, in February, I took a whole weekend of workshops with a teacher named Day Christensen, who we bring out from Miami every year. And she does five or six workshops with us. Um, I then did restorative training um, with Bernie Wandall, who is a longtime DC yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did another 50 hour rocket training with Patrick McLeaf, um, which was great. So, um, yeah, I try to make it happen in the studio and makes it convenient for my life and then exposes my students to the teachers who are inspiring me at the same time. Very nice. Yeah. Where do you look? Uh, where do you look for? resources outside of the studio Mm. in other words is there like it's a kind of a a running joke with with me and and some other people i have i have a stack i'm not even joking two feet high of of different copies of the yoga sutras Mm. at home I probably have 12, 12 books, just well, different versions of the yoga is, sutras. Um, I'll find the name of it, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a copy of the yoga sutras that has, it's like a giant textbook, and it has for each sutra all different translations from different people all in one page. Um, Bernie Wandal told me about this copy, so you'll have to get that too if you want another one for your okay, so for library. <laughs> I actually may have that copy, but we'll see. Like, it's in the I, stack somewhere yeah, lost. Yeah, it's in the stack. I have, a, I have one that's about four inches thick, and it mm. not only has... It only, not only has it in English and it has mm-hmm. the commentary in English, but it's in Sanskrit and the commentary in Sanskrit. And then, yeah, it's and then all the footnotes. Mm-hmm. Footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Deep in there. Um, um, so I get a lot of inspiration on how to apply the yoga philosophy that I've learned through other podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I like to listen to TED Radio Hour yeah. um, and I often will start a class referencing something that is, you know, maybe I've learned through light on yoga or light on life or yoga sutras and then connect that to something that's happening in the present. Mm -hmm. Um, So this week, for example, I subbed our cosmic flow class um, and the theme of the month was the beauty of Krishna. And so um, this is Hari's class that he usually teaches. He has a theme for the month. And so I took that and I ran with um, including some of my thoughts on, you know, Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, and then combined that with um, an episode of from TED Radio Hour on beauty and what is beauty and why do we care about beauty and why do we care about art and tried to make it relevant to for 
you know, things that people are experiencing today. So um, there's another podcast on being that a couple yeah. of friends have recommended. I'll often like midday while I'm walking my dog, um, listen to something like that. And then that's a lot the of one the... with uh, Krista Tippett, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's yep. amazing. Yeah. Um, and she has amazing guests on there as well. Um, and the moth radio hour, um, which is, I hadn't heard that one. Um, it's, so it's storytelling, different people from around the world tell stories either live at their story slams where they get people together. So you can go in DC, for example, um, put your name in the hat and maybe get picked to tell a story. And so some of those stories end up on the podcast. Some are famous authors, some, they might go into a school and teach kids how to do storytelling or retirement home or, Mm -hmm. you know, wherever it may be. Um, and so sometimes that's helpful too, to think about some of these larger topics like, you know, compassion and rather than just kind of reading it in, um, in the yoga sutras, which I think is a helpful for me for creating context. It's like, okay, well, how do I apply this idea of ahimsa or compassion to what's going on in politics or Mm -hmm. what's going on, um, you know, in individual stories of things that people face all the time dealing with life and death and love and sorrow and all these things. Yeah, I like to think that that's um, that's that's rather the point mm-hmm. of the text is to read it and um, understanding it in its own context is fine, mm-hmm. uh, but unless it means something in our daily lives, it's just a history book, mm-hmm. right? And the great thing about well, with the sutras, you know, and even with the Gita as well, mm-hmm. is that you can take all the lessons and all the stuff that those people were going through is still relevant today Mm -hmm. right so taking that wisdom and applying it to your own life that's the i mean that's yana yoga that's that's sort of the point Mm -hmm. right and i like this quote um bks Iyengar talks about how like if you know the goal of yoga or if the practice of yoga was just to like go live in a cave and be like secluded from society and have all this like these perfect conditions then it would be easy who cares um but the harder thing is figuring out like how do you you know, pay your rent and deal with other stressed out people and live in a modern life and still practice yoga, still practice compassion, still find time for self-study, still, you know, connect with these other pieces. Um, And that's where the yoga maybe is more helpful than if you had just these perfect conditions out in the mountains in this, you know, beautiful place. Absolutely. Yeah, no, none of us have time to, you know, just to drop out of school at age 14 and go live in an ashram for four years. (laughs) Yeah, sounds nice though. It does sound nice, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Um, maybe we should do that though. It would take away a lot of anxiety. Don't you think? About, I have a like, friend who's basically doing that this year. Really? You know, traveling the world. That yeah. sounds amazing. She left for three months and it's been about 10. So where did she start? Um, Bahamas. That's a nice place. To start. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how about you? Have you ever been to India? Any, um, I traveled, any plans to go? I traveled to India. Um, but honestly I didn't do much yoga there because I was traveling with my dad and he was there for a conference. And so it was kind of on his schedule. Um, but I'd love to go back. Um, there's a lot of places I'd love to travel. Yeah. What's next up? What's next up for travel or for travel? Um, so right now I'm looking forward to leading another yoga and rock climbing retreat. Um, so earlier this year, last April or this past April, I went to Moab, Utah and we, um, had mornings where we did yoga outside, um, or inside in some mornings and then rock climbed all afternoon and then came back and sometimes did workshops, um, did restorative yoga, more introspective practices. 
Um, so we're planning the next one. Um, it's official. We have our first person signed up, so it's happening. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, great. Where's it going to be? Um, it's going to be in Joshua Tree, um, which I've never been. To, I've never been to Joshua Tree, and I'm very excited. Um, and I this is the second I'll be co-leading with a friend of mine who is a, a PhD geologist and um, rock climbing guru. Has been climbing for 17 years. Um, and this is, he lived, uh, in LA for a number of years. So this is like his backyard. Uh, you know, he knows the climbs like the back of his hand. He knows the territory. Um, so we'll go to kind of all of his fa- favorite hidden gem spots. And that's great. So you guys um, are going to move around. It's not going to be just like staying in one place. So we're staying at this really beautiful retreat center called Cactus Moon Retreat, um, that has a private pool on site. It's got a yoga studio on site. And then, um, we'll try to adventure out and, uh, mostly have yoga in the morning and then either hiking or rock climbing in the afternoons. Um, and what we did last time was a mix of sport climbing, meaning that, you know, you've got a rope on the top of a cliff or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a tall wall and you climb up as well as bouldering where um, you're not climbing as hard, but you're uh, you're working more on, like I was talking about, those problems, like figuring out how you can make a couple moves. And so maybe you try it once, you come down, you try it again. <laughs> um, like climbing up a tree. Yeah, exactly. Trying to find the right branches to get higher and higher. Yeah, exactly. And you may only go like, you know, one step higher and everyone's like cheering for you. And um, it's like uh, on our last retreat, Hayden, every single day, like after everyone went to sleep, went and set up all these lights around this one climb, you know, who's there like every day. And he's come back to the same spot in Moab year after year. And it's like his Moby Dick, you know, (laughs) it's like, like you know, one day he'll conquer it. And it's like this little rock, you know, Mm -hmm. and just a couple moves. Yes, one day I will I will be able to grab that bind in extended side <laughs> angle and do Bird of Paradise. Yeah. One day. One day. And if not, <laughs> you know, you've got that whole journey. You've got the whole practice. Exactly. And all those years of struggling through. Yeah. Um, any other resources, online resources that you're you're kind of you're kind of happy about that you usually go to over and over again? Hmm. Um not so much an online resource. Um, but I really love the book Light on Life. Um, which is BKS Iyengar looking back on the principles of yoga across his life. So he's known for light on yoga where it's sort of like a textbook of like, here's how you do this pranayama. Here are the postures. Here is the philosophy. And light on life is a little more contextualized, um, thinking about how to apply a lot of that learning. Um, So I often look there. And honestly, for me, I like the experience of working with other people. So Mm -hmm. I tend to absorb more from workshops and in-person trainings and being able to kind of experience things live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The traditional, uh, traditional way mm-hmm. learning yoga yeah. right? from one teacher to the next. Yep. Almost, uh, the guru, uh, the guru method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take some, what resonates with you and then leave all the other stuff. Exactly. Um, are you guys doing any, uh, special teacher trainings, workshops coming up soon? So um, starting in September, we have Mimi Rieger uh, leading her 200-hour teacher training program, Mm -hmm. and that will go until January. And then um, next year, we'll have back Bernie for another 50-hour training. Um, I've talked to Patrick already about doing another rocket training um, through David Kyle's Progressive Ashtanga Vinyasa School. Um, And then we'll have... I've always loved the term progressive progressive Ashtanga. Like well, because we li- because we work in DC, you know, mm-hmm. and so like if you put the word progressive yeah. in front of something, different con- had, different exactly, meaning. yeah, <laughs> totally, I hear you. Um, and then we'll have Dave Christensen and uh, a back again. So a lot of things in the work um, that are to be scheduled soon and posted online. And the other one, actually, um, one of our students, Ellen Cole, is a fantastic Sanskrit scholar, 
And so she's leading a training this fall, I think in November, Mm -hmm. um, two day training on the basics of Sanskrit. You can kind of learn to throw your whole vocabulary upside down and hear all the things we've been mispronouncing. Um, And then her teacher, um, Zoe, will be teaching a mantra and meditation and chanting workshop in December. So really, really cool experiencing uh, experience having them in the studio as well. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you, Jenny, for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. It's so cool to have you here. Yeah. Um, so that's it for us today. Uh, signing off with the DC Yoga Podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, it's uh, dcyogapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to uh, everybody here at One Love Massive and uh, Producer Mike. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Take care. <laughs>